This is the Washington State Wire podcast, a podcast on the policy, politics, and economics of Washington State. Here's your host, DJ Wilson. Welcome back to another edition of our Washington State Wire podcast. Thanks for listening and for subscribing. If you're not already a subscriber, if you're listening to this at our site at WashingtonStateWire.com, we'd love to have you sign up so that you get all of our podcasts downloaded into your iPhone or your other other iPods or other sort of handheld devices where you get to listen to your, your uh, podcasts every day or every week. This edition, we hear from two of Washington State's leading Republican voices in the legislature, State Senator Randy Becker, who serves as the Senate Republican caucus chair, and Representative Paul Harris, who is the caucus chair, newly elected caucus chair of the House Republican Party. Both of these legislators joined us for a breakout session at our 2019 Washington State of Reform Health Policy Conference. State of Reform is, of course, a sister site to the Washington State Wire focused on health care and health policy. So while Representative Harris and Senator Becker focused on health care, if you know them, you know both of them as very thoughtful leaders on a range of issues, including education, on appropriations and fiscal policy, and a number of other topics. So while this was recorded at State of Reform, we wanted to include it here in our Washington State Wire podcast as well, so that you could hear about the 2019 legislative session from them directly, their plans and their vision for the long 105-day session, and hear about some of the questions from audience members who are looking ahead to the session themselves. So without further ado, Senate Republican Caucus Chair, Senator Randy Becker, and the Chair of the House Republican Caucus, State Representative Paul Harris. Good morning. It is still morning. Um, I don't know about your drive up here, but mine was a couple hours, and it was terrible, but um, that's not why we're here. We're here to talk about um, health care and the next session. And uh, my name is Senator Randy Becker, and I represent the second legislative district, which goes all the way from Olympia to the other side of Mount Rainier, down to uh, the town of Rainier, and up to South Hill of Puyallup. So my district is the second most rural district in the state, at least on the west side. And so a lot of what we're going to talk about today, from my perspective, is about helping people not just in cities, but in the rural communities as well. Senator, uh, Representative Harris. Thank you. Not a senator. Thank God. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> Representative Harris from Clark County, Washington, Vancouver. Uh, my district is, you'd have to know Clark County, it's uh, becoming more and more city. It's almost entirely in the city of Vancouver, not quite. It's a very swing district. I've had a Democrat half my life. I've had a Republican half my life. My leader just walked in, so I'm going to be a very good boy today. <laughs> um, I was just elected the caucus chair in the Republican in, in our minority party. Been on health care for eight years, and uh, look forward to talking with you briefly about health care issues. So I am glad to see my seatmate. Um, Representative Wilcox, um, I'm glad you're here. Um, and it's good that we're both caucus chairs um, so we can now have different conversations. But I want to talk about, first of all, um, from my perspective, a lot of you know that I came out of the medical field and for 24 years I was 
Uh, I started out as a receptionist, went into billing, went into management, and went into, I, then I was a medical practice administrator. I set up programs with the managed care organization um, within uh, multi-care that was not multi-care at that point in time, and did the CQI and the, the uh, other uh, quality assurance type of measures. And one thing that I really have to say is important to me, and it should be important to each and every person in this room and anyone in the healthcare industry, is that we have to remember we don't want to make just good patients. We actually want to have a goal of making patients well. And every time we talk about anything to do with healthcare, from my perspective, it should be what will this do to make it better for the patient? Our patients, the patients out there, are the number one reason healthcare is around. And if we forget that and think we need all these administrative programs, we need all of these programs that are really doing nothing to get the care to the patient, we're missing our mark. So that's my um, little lead-in to um, where I look at any bill that comes forward in healthcare every year. Um, this year, um, I will be bringing forward three telemedicine bills. I believe very strongly that we need to continue down the road um, bringing telemedicine out to our communities, whether it's in a city or whether it's out in the rural community like, like in my district, where people can actually access that doctor or that PA or that nurse practitioner, the, the counselor for mental health issues, et cetera. Dr. Unitzer at the University of Washington put a, a pilot program in our one little clinic that we have in Eatonville that is getting mental health out to the students in, in uh, Eatonville. And the superintendent there said, Randy, this is the most amazing thing. We're actually helping these kids. But it's only a portion of our student population. Not everyone is on Medicaid. So... Um, that leads into the continuation of the telemedicine bills, how we, we um, have defined home, um, and we've worked through certain things, but we're looking at payment parity, training of providers that would be able to provide services through the telemedicine program so that they're aware of all of the best practices and the, the pitfalls and the good things about telemedicine. We're also then, I'm writing a bill, it's written actually, that will bring telemedicine into the schools. And it's taken me three years to put this bill together, so I hope you pay attention to it. Number one, from, from my perspective as a medical practice administrator, I always had to look at what was my goal. And then I worked backwards and how can I achieve that goal? And I think being on the, the uh, task force for the Western State Hospital and seeing all of the issues that are going on there and the continuing issues, losing the certification and how that Im Im is impacting uh, the entire process and looking at those people waiting to get into Western State Hospital that can't get in there, well, what better way to avoid these sorts of things where we have to keep building out and building out and building out for problems that have escalated to where the patient can no longer be in control of their life. I'd like to look at it in how can we identify those students that may be at risk for suicide, risk for those that may be at risk to hurting somebody else like they did in Texas in the schools, looking at those students that may have a situational 
um, issue that is causing them to be different in school and not coming to school, looking at students that may have addictions such as alcohol and drugs already in school or starting in down that line and catching them before they get out to that bad situation. And so what this bill does is it actually brings two telepsychiatry visits into the schools. But prior to that, it, it uh, trains even our bus drivers, because our bus drivers are with the students more than the, than the teachers are, on how to identify the, that, say, Randy's sitting in the back of the bus and Randy has gotten really quiet, and Randy's never been quiet. So maybe calling that counselor that doesn't have to be in every school but can be in that district and saying, I think you might want to set up an appointment with Randy and see if there's something going on. Texas actually has done this. They did a four-year study. Uh, they did 10 schools. They did it at those for risk to harm others. They actually have hospitalized a number of students. They have actually had to put some in, um, in jail. They've been treating a number of students over the years, over this study period, and they have reduced truancy. They've increased the, the outcomes for the students, all through providing a starting point of these two telepsychiatry visits. Some students may not need to go beyond that, but others may, and so it sets up a referral process into the community, and if there's nothing in the community, it goes through telemedicine with protocols set up and, and uh, utilizing Dr. Unitzer's AIM program so that there's protocols and follow-up so that the actual goal is to help make those students healthier mentally. Um, and get over their addictions if they can. So that's a, a big deal to me. I think Western State Hospital is, is a complete disaster, and I think that when you look at what we could and could not do in that, in that hospital, we have opportunities to fix that as well. So I'm going to turn it over to Representative Harris. We're going to kind of bounce back and forth, but I wanted to talk about those two things initially. Thank you, Randy. That was, uh, I actually wanted, and I didn't clear this with you, we kind of went over what we're going to talk about. I do want to talk about schools and, and health. Um, in my district, uh, they've applied for, um, we're looking at two site-based schools to have clinics that will be a, kind of a trial program in, in Evergreen, which is, I guess you can tell the difference between maybe a rural district and one that's very city-centric. And we're going to try two of these, and I think it'll be fascinating to see how this works. But uh, teen suicide, the need for mental health in our schools, I think, is critical. And, and we, when we really look at school safety and what is causing some of the things, I think we really do need to, need, do need to look at the mental health and, and what's, what's transpiring in our schools, and specifically how our students treat one another. You know, it's, it's interesting politically, we look at the polarizing of, of the two parties right now and how at times we treat one another. I think our students are experiencing some of this in, in their own schools on how they treat one another when others are slightly different and yet we think we're very tolerant. I'm not sure that our kids are really have, have learned that yet. So it's something I have a big concern about and I think it's something we're going to work on. One of the issues, one of the bills that I've already signed, uh, it's, it will be a bipartisan bill. Uh, my old seatmate who was a Democrat who who moved to the 49th representative uh, Stonier is uh, sponsored a bill. I've co-signed that bill, which is to raise the rates from uh, Medicaid to Medicare in the primary setting. 
in Clark County, we have a really ac a problem to access of care. And I believe uh, most of my clinics are capped out at how much Medicaid they're going to take. And I have a real access issue. And this is a big issue. And I think this will resolve a lot of that issue. And I'm a big proponent of that. I noticed the governor put some of this in his budget. And I would wholeheartedly support that and be working on, on that issue uh, this session. I think one of the other issues that will come back, I've been a strong proponent of it, but I've kind of taken a, another look at this, is, is the balanced billing issue. I think we will see that again. I was signed on to the bill last time. I've been asked to sign, and, and I actually will not sign the bill this time. I have some concerns. You know, it's interesting. I don't know that I flip-flopped on the issue. I, I was balanced billed personally, to be quite frank, and I wasn't like the way it, it all transpired. And so I, I kind of took it like a billy club that I was just going to solve the, you know, and I think we were ramming a bill through. And um, I want to take a more pragmatic approach to this. I want to look at this again. Uh, I'm not sure we've hit the sweet spot with the bill. And I will continue to look at that. I think there's a, a fix there. I don't know that we've identified the proper fix. I'm not sure. I know you're going to find it hard to believe, but the, the bill might not be right. So um, we have a tendency to fix bills at times that we thought were the most perfect bills. So maybe in my indication on this one is I want to take a further look and make sure that we do the right legislation. I, I believe there's a problem there. I just don't know that we've resolved it yet in, in what we've in our approach. Another bill that I think that that we passed from the House, and once again, we'll probably take a look at it again. Will be there will be some opiate legislation that will take place. I believe that we've had a lot of talk on that. Um, we passed a bill that went over the Senate. They didn't have time, so I believe we will address that bill again. And I believe there will be some uh, a bill regarding opiates this session. And I think that we'll also be looking at um, bills that will come forward, bringing uh, bringing up the idea of a single payer system. And uh, we had two bills come forth last year. Um, and I have to say my one hope is that we don't have so many bills that we hear in committee that we're not allowed enough time to ask the questions, to get to the answers that we need to make good decisions. And I hope that we get to have more of a, a lead-in time that will give us the ability to actually work the bills that may be moving forward so that we can prioritize and, and do a really good job, not just passing legislation. This isn't about passing legislation. This is about creating systems and rules and laws that people have to abide by. And if, we're, if we hurry them, we're gonna make mistakes and it'll cost people dearly and it could cost them their lives. Yeah, I think, I think as we look forward to either what we're looking at as a state option plan or I, I think other states have tried this. I, I want to be very cognizant of, of the climate and what's taking place, but others have tried this and have not had success. So as we move forward in this, I just want to make very that we proceed carefully and very thoughtfully. Um, I've had some dialogue in the, in the interim before the governor's... Uh, statement and what I heard from most on the other side that they felt like they weren't ready yet but I, I listened to Eileen earlier today and in the other session and it sounds like she has a bill that she's been working on uh, I'll be fascinated to look at that it sounds like it's gonna drop next week so like you I learned something today 
And um, I will look at that bill carefully and, and see what it's doing. I, I have concerns that we're going to shift costs. I have concerns that we're going to have people that, will, that are in the market in one form or another that will gravitate towards that program. That, um, so I think we need to be very careful. As we, as we all deal in health care, I've always find it fascinating when I sign on to a bill or I do something I think is very benign that will do very little. I am just shocked by what it does, why the people I have come into my room, this is not Representative Harris, do you know what you have done? And I go, oh my gosh, you know, I, you know. So um, you move one thing and the whole world tilts. So I, I want to be very cautious and take a look at this because I think as we, as we progress into this, this will be fascinating to watch and to be a part of and I, I will be very cognizant of all the seats on the deck. How many of you are from the healthcare industry out here and not involved in politics? Awesome. Those of you that are in the healthcare industry and you read a bill and you have concerns or you have questions or whatnot, feel free. Yeah, Give feel free to call. call Randy Becker. Yeah. <laughs> call, call my office because it's, it's the devil's in the detail in each and every one of those bills. And even though I was an administrator and I worked in that healthcare arena, I'm not going to anticipate everything and neither will anyone else. So we need your help. And if you have a bill that you feel very strongly about, either pro or con, find the time, create the time to come down and testify. Because we often hear from a special interest group here, a special interest group here, whether they're pro our ideas or con our ideas, it doesn't matter. A lot of times we don't hear from the people that can actually affect in the healthcare industry. So that's my invitation to you. Yeah, one of the bills I signed on to, this is interesting. I signed on to the immunization bill a couple of years ago, um, the <laughs> mandatory, uh, you know, get those vaccinations. Because I actually had one of my parents call me whose daughter was in chemo, and we had whooping cough in Clark County that broke out, and uh, her daughter was one that was very concerned about contracting that. And I just thought it was just a little benign bill that would require people to get vaccinations. And it, actually it was. And I've often said, show me that bill again. And I would sign that. And then Senator Becker probably would disagree with that. And I get that. But um, I have real concerns um, sometimes on, I don't know. So that's just me, I guess. So one other bill that I have out there that, that's actually being heard in the first week is T21, smoking 21, raising the smoking age. And uh, Randy Becker uh, doesn't quite agree with me on that, and I understand that. And I, I think that's what's, what's interesting. Um, I, even though we're from the same party, um, and many in my caucus probably don't agree with me on the bill. So, um, but it's one of the bills that will be heard, and it's probably like immunizations to me. I, you know, I, it's kind of the same realm. I've realized my thinking might be flawed every once in a while. So, so let me just answer that a little oh, bit. No, don't answer it. Randy, Randy, don't. Immunizations. Oh, we're going to do this. Totally. We are, I totally believe in immunizations, Randy. However, when I received more emails my very first year saying, don't you dare let government tell me what to do, okay? And it's the same thing in smoking. Don't you dare let government tell me what to do. I believe in individual freedoms and choices. I hate smoking. I have to tell you, 
My husband quit, and I caught him behind the garage a couple of years ago smoking, and he smokes today, and every time he walks into the house after having a cigarette, I go, pew! <laughs> but it, when is it government's place? And so I'm, I'm a little bit more of that individual, the individual's rights. Um, but I think that you can do the same thing by encouraging people and teaching people about all the pitfalls of that. And I, it was a lesson learned early on for me. Understand. So. Completely understand. So, other bills or other things, or do we want to open it up now? Do you have anything else you want to talk about on, regarding bills? Um, I think that I'd like to open it up to okay. questions, Paul, don't you? Sure. I mean, I'd like to be happy to open it up. And if you'll kind of come forward, so we can, we can get you halfway, and we'd love to get you on the mic so we don't have to, and they can hear how excited you are about the issue, and we don't have to read back the question, so. Hi, um, I want to thank you, first of all, for your support of telemedicine, and also for the recognition of school bullying as a public health issue. It absolutely I, is. I think that's great. Um, several Republican legislators around the country are now taking on the issue of religious liberty, allowing providers to opt out from reproductive health issues, LGBTQ health issues, in particular transgender health issues. I wonder if such a debate is happening in today's Republican caucus in Washington State and what your take is on that issue. Not that I'm aware of, and I, do, I don't know. Um, I haven't heard anything at this point in time. We may hear things as, as we move along, but I, I know that the governor has concerns, but I don't know what's happening at this point, being honest. So you asking the question, and being the caucus chair, I will bring that up to my caucus mm -hmm. and see if it's a discussion that my caucus wants to have, and I'd be happy to do that. But as, as at this time, we have not, but that doesn't mean that we couldn't, and I would welcome, actually, I'd welcome that opportunity. I just want to say I, I would weigh very heavily against That's all right. ability, but I just want to... No, I think we need to have the dialogue no matter what. Yeah, Thanks. absolutely. Um, I just uh, had a question for you, Senator Becker, in the, the um, school-based telemedicine bill that you've talked about. Um, how do you envision the role of um, the staff at the school, like school counselors and school nurses that have sort of experience in this realm? How will they interact with these two telepsychiatry visits? Maybe so I, I appreciate that question because it's, uh, that's been probably the hardest part of this. Um, so I envision, and I'm utilizing Project ECHO at the University of Washington, which is, if you're not familiar with Project ECHO, it, I didn't know too much about it, so a couple years ago, maybe three years ago now, I attended a conference, um, and I learned so much about how education can happen via Skype or the internet or whatever, and Project ECHO was developed by a man that actually is completely opposite of me politically, but he has a good product, okay? And his product is saying, I, as a doctor, he was going as a specialist out into all these little rural communities treating patients with chronic illnesses. It might be diabetes, it might be hypertension, it might be whatever, but whatever those were, he was, he was spending a lot of what I call windshield time. And so he developed this, it's a hub model, and the University of Washington was the second in, in, uh, the, in the United States to create this hub. And I went to one of their trainings, and I thought that there were maybe 15 or 20 doctors learning from this, this episode, but there were over, I guess, 1,400 doctors on, on this call and, and learning, and this was about 
when do you treat with certain kinds of medications for people on drugs or alcohol or whatever it might be, and how do you, you know, utilize your labs, et cetera. Well, that training they have used in, in the Project ECHO to train police officers on how to work with folks. They have trained community health workers on how to, to you know, work within their communities and, and be supportive. But the, the interesting thing is, is they've trained physicians assistants, et cetera, and they have the ability to train at different levels and train those individuals within the school via this, this mass. And, but the important part is, whether it's a counselor in the school or it's a school nurse or whatever, it's giving them the ability to recognize and understand per set of protocols when they need to make this, make this next step. Um, and so they also then have peer review and continuous um, reviewing of, of cases so that people can, they didact the patient information and they can discuss these and it's a continuous learning. And it's, it's um, be, be, built on best practices. And I think that we need to, if you're, gonna, if you're gonna actually not just make good patients but make patients well, you need to increase that training for the people providing some of the services. The two visits is to determine whether that patient treatment plan from the first visit is working. If it isn't, then moving them on to outside of the school so that they can get the appropriate care. I'm actually really excited about that. Hello. Um, so Representative Harris knows me. I'm a pediatrician in Longview, Washington. And this is mostly to petition uh, Senator Becker to support Harris's Medicaid expansion bill. Oh, lobby, yes. lobby. Go uh, for it, brother. I, I Go. You know, I did sponsor that in a bill form a number of years ago. That's great. Um, <laughs> and I think just a second, I appreciate you both being here and your perspectives and agree in a lot of these communities we need these uh, resources in schools like telehealth. But also uh, what we see in our community is still having viable health care clinics um, open that can then receive those kids and interface with those communities it ends up being so important. And I think I see those two issues as going very strongly together to actually fund Medicaid in areas of the state where there's a lot of poor people and poor kids so that we actually have a place for the tele telehealth people to send someone to. So I really want to say thank you for that. And I think that, you know, you look at tele telehealth, telemedicine, whichever term you want to use, um, it's there to augment, not to replace that person-to-person -person visit, and uh, especially in children when so much can happen so quickly. But I, I do believe, I, I went to the telemedicine uh, meeting over here and heard all, all the good things that's happening and some of the surveys, et cetera. And I think telemedicine is going to be a wave of the future for so many things. I, I went to Sioux Falls, South Dakota to a, a task force meeting on healthcare a couple, that was three years ago. And all of the ICU monitoring that they're doing, the nursing home monitorings via telemedicine and saving the companies money, but having the outcomes, it's a, it's a remarkable opportunity that we're faced with. Hello, my name is Justin Gill. I'm a nurse practitioner practicing in Gig Harbor. Um, Representative Harris, thank you for bringing up the primary care uh, issue and making sure that access is something that is paid attention to because there's insurance, but I think that something that transcends that is 
being able to use that insurance and actually see a provider. So I was wondering if you'd be able to speak more to the issue of getting providers into rural healthcare, uh, making sure that their practices are sustainable and some of the things that you're hearing from your constituents on that. So I think uh, I'd prefer Randy, and I don't want to put her on the spot since she's more rural. I'm really am. I'm in. Inter I, I wish I was rural. My life would be easier, quite frankly, getting reelected and being a rep. But uh, I'm in. I'm truly becoming more and more city. And uh, Randy, do you want to take that one? I will. Um, and and thank you for that question because I think the workforce shortage is real. But I think that if you look at again, look out there 10 years and say, what do we want to accomplish and work backwards? And do we really need as many as we think we need? Or if we are more efficient and utilize all of the technologies and, and the places that are available to us, we might, you know, they called me the efficiency queen when I was there because I'd go in and say, you don't need to do this, you need to do this. It was it was wiping out all that excess and getting down to the brux of getting to the patient care and the best patient care. But for example, in, in uh, psychiatry, uh, two years ago I got slots at the University of Washington for um, more psychiatrists to be trained and their residencies. Uh, in the governor's budget, he is asking for five more slots, and um, but he's only funded like a year of that. And so I'm going in and asking for 10 more slots and funding for all 10 slots because we actually need it. I've learned uh, throughout the years that we have 500 and some psychiatrists in the state of Washington, and most of them are in Seattle. So it's not enough, and, and we need more, though, so we need to create more slots. Um, but we need more physician assistants. For goodness sakes, they're the backbone of an office, and I worked with a lot of them, nurse practitioners. But, but when we get down into the medical assistance, um, you know, I'm a belie big believer in scope, but I'm a big believer in protocols. And when do you know to turn that over? Um, and what are the rules surrounding that other person's interactions so that there is a team approach, but a team approach that is governed with, with protocols and best practice in mind? So in my specific area, 75, and several of it is 75% free and reduced lunch in my schools. Uh, the access of, of Medicaid is, they just, there's not enough. And I, 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 so in my area, it's more or less, I have people, but they just can't get in. So, so thank you, though. Thank you. Absolutely. And as a follow-up, I serve on the board for the residencies for the medical doctors and the DOs. And uh, we've been able to get money to increase those residency, the numbers in the residency programs. And so that's growing. And then with um, <coughs> Washington State University, um, but we're training, we, we're educating doctors and those, but then we don't have the slots for them in their residency programs. Hi, um, Leslie Emmerich. I'm the Director of Public Policy for the Washington State Hospice and Palliative Care Organization and others. And I just want to thank you so much for your telemedicine work. Um, there's a lot going on around palliative care and telemedicine. And thank you, uh, Representative Harris, for your recognition of the need for increasing Medicaid rates in the state. Um, uh, Senator Becker, you started out saying about getting patients well, and I completely agree with you, but I want to just remind folks that there's a population of patients who have been diagnosed with serious and life-threatening illness who may never get well. 
and supporting them with palliative care and making sure that we have a funding mechanism in place for palliative care is really important. So the health care authorities uh, going to be doing some new rulemaking on adult palliative care and we hope that you're supportive of that. There's a lot of efforts going around in the state, but there's still a pretty big gap uh, between where home health nursing uh, helps the rehab population and before they qualify for hospice. So palliative care is an area that I'd ask that you please put a little focus on. And I'm very aware of that from the, our, our, you coming to the telemedicine collaborative meetings, and I appreciate it. My mother um, passed away this summer. Um, but when people say, oh, I'm sorry, I say, no, celebrate her life. She was 100 years old. And so somebody to make it to 100, but she was in palliative care for that last three weeks of her life. And she was crazy as a loon bird because of her, you know, her aging. But it was the best experience. And so I believe that not only do we need to get it in, in uh, hospice and palliative care, but we need it in other places as well, additional funding. Yes, thank you. So, Leslie, I, I appreciate your comment. I think my mother-in-law is coming to live with me here soon, <laughs> and uh, it'll either be good or bad. I'm not sure what yet. But she needs some help. You know, it's it's tragic. You know, I, I, um, I just bought her a clock because she keeps forgetting what day it is. And I, as I was placing a clock in her house two days ago, I thought it's not long that she, she won't be able to drive and she's just going to need some help from us, and uh, she's going to come live with me, I can tell. Yeah. I think I'm more accepting of my, my wife of her mother than she is. Is this, is this being taped? Yes. Oh, my gosh. But I really love her a lot, and I love my wife a lot. Yeah. That's good service recovery. I'm trying, man. I'm trying. <laughs> Uh, Jamie Park, uh, Chief Medical Officer at Valley Medical Center. So, uh, first of all, I just wanted to uh, thank you guys for being here. Um, like many people in this room, uh, most of my exposure to politics these days is in the news, and it's very disheartening. And you guys clearly have a very knowledgeable and thoughtful approach. And even though I haven't agreed with everything you've said, I've really appreciated you guys' approach to it. So, thank you. It gives me a lot of heart to know that. Like, like most things, the people we see in the news are not representative of the, the people who are actually doing the work. And so um, I'm, I'm glad you guys are, are there helping us out. So uh, my question uh, centers around uh, things that maybe are not bills yet, but may be coming. So mm -hmm. it occurs to me that bills and, and laws uh, are in several different categories, one of which is supportive. So we need your support in doing something and you guys help us out with that. Another might be regulatory. So we're not doing things the way we're supposed to be doing it and if we're not gonna, if we're not gonna take care of our own business, you guys will take care of it for us and tell us that we're going to do something even if we don't want to. So um, I'm wondering what things you guys see might be coming down the road uh, where the government's gonna tell healthcare how to, how to run its business if we don't get it right. Uh, maybe there's nothing. Um, that's coming because we're perfect right now already, and if so, great, we'll just continue to be perfect. But if there's some advice you have for us, like, hey, here's something you might want to fix, it'd be good to know about it. Um, well, I'll try to answer. I, I, I think, don't think that's an easy thing to answer. Um, but as you know, working in the healthcare arena, the healthcare industry is the most regulated industry in the nation. And I can remember as a medical practice administrator, having to hire not just a, a, a biller anymore, but a certified coder. And then I had to have another certified coder. And then I had to have a person 
come in and do the, the pre-certs and the authorizations and then sit down with the patient, which we did explain every part of the bill to them prior to them having surgery and where they may be getting bills from ahead of time. Uh, if I could say you could do something really well would be any time a patient comes in, give them that kind of information. But I really believe that the industry is trying to jump through hoops that the government has set up, um, and it's costing them dearly in the time and the dollars that they're putting forth to actually treat patients. Um, I look at the ambulatory surgery centers, the freestanding ones that just got, a, I believe, a 353% increase in their fees. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm thinking 353% you know, what does that do? Because they can't, they can't pass that cost on, so how many will we lose because of that? Which is a, you know, a factor in getting lower cost care to the people. I think if, if you agree with certain things or you don't agree with certain things, feel free to email me. I'd like to hear the other side of that, and then I may challenge you or you may challenge me, but that's where we learn and we grow, and, and that's what I'd like to ask of anybody. I'm, I'm fine with that. So and I jokingly said that we, we do legislation and it's always the smartest things in the world, but we spend literally half of our time fixing things that we have, we've gotten wrong. So uh, please, if there's, um, I am a Republican, I, I truly believe that oftentimes less regu regulation is better, but if we've done something I, I think that we need to fix, let's, let's take a look at it and fix it. But I'd like to make a comment on what you started off with. Um, this is Washington State, this is not Washington, D.C. And um, I still respect my Democrats, and I mean that sincerely. Uh, Eileen Cody and the others that I serve with um, are good people that I think have the greatest intentions of the world, and I agree with them a lot of the time. There's times I don't, too. Uh, but the idea, would, I don't ever want to cause dysfunction. That, that, to me, would be completely a waste of taxpayer money and, and what, what, why you sent me to Olympia, so. But I also have to say I agree. Um, when I was chair of healthcare, it was, we had meetings all the time um, with the, the Democrats, that, the, um, the ranking members, so that she knew exactly what was going on. Um, uh, Eileen Cody has kind of been my hero because she's been around for so long. She's very pragmatic and does a good job on, on a lot of things, again, like, like um, Paul Harris is saying he doesn't always agree with her, but none of us always agree with everything that anybody does. But it's through that discussion that you get to the better. And that's what I hope we don't lose this year. 44, another shout out to my wife. 44 <laughs> years, honey, and we still don't agree on everything. Five kids, and we still don't agree on everything. Hi, uh, my name is Erin Stevenson. I'm a registered nurse in an emergency room in Bellingham. Um, I thank you guys for spending the time to chat with us today and being so open. Uh, I just wanted to ask your thoughts on safe nurse staffing. There was a bill last session that made it through the House, I believe, but the Senate ran out of time um, to get all the way through the process. I'm just curious your guys' thoughts on that. You're talking about the staff staffing breaks? Oh, rest breaks. Yes, I'm sorry. And I misspoke. I'm sorry. <laughs> Yep, the rest breaks. So I, I have to say I have mixed feelings on the bill. 
Um, and I'm just going to be really honest as a, an administrator. And I used to go up to all my, my nurses and stuff and say, you have to take your 15-minute break or I have to fire you, okay? Because they didn't want to take it. They were in the middle of something. And or those that were in, the, in our ambulatory surgery center that were in the middle of a, a procedure and couldn't leave or didn't want to do that shift because it was disruptive to the doctor, which could cause an issue with the patient. Um, and so I look at it from that perspective. I think that I, I, I worry that we get so strict with, with that, you know, that, that we can't have that flexibility. And if you have a way to help me figure out how to make it flexible, I'm willing to listen. It's just a matter of, again, I'm putting that patient first. I'm sorry, the RNs, I love you to death. My sister's an RN BSN, and I love her to death. And she didn't believe that we should do that. I, she worked at Memorial Hospital in, in Yakima. And uh, I called her for a lot of questions about that and had her ask staff. And I don't know that I, I'm, I'm not comfortable that the whole nursing community is comfortable with it, and I'd like to see if you've found out more information from all of the nurses in that environment. Can I follow up really yes, quick please. to that? Yeah, so as a staff nurse um, in the emergency department, the department I work in, we get our breaks 99% of the time. Uh, we have float nurses, they're called, that cover us, so they I know that my patients are being taken care of those nurses don't have another patient load on top of my patient load. They're focused on my patients. And I think that that's a very good example of how it can be well done. And that's where it ties into safe staffing, which is probably why I misspoke. Um, having enough nurses to be able to do that. Because I will say, uh, working in a chaotic emergency department, you know, if I don't get to eat, I'm not making those decisions that I need to be making for my patients very well, as well as I should be. And usually after a break, I'm refreshed. I can come back and take better care of my patients. I agree with you. Daughter's a nurse, and I just will reiterate what Randy said. I would kind of ran it by my daughter, and I think what Randy or Senator Becker said was exactly my position. There was another question. I, I saw your hand up earlier, and I think we have time. This could be it. Yep, this could be it. I'm Gary Goldbaum. I'm now retired, but Congratulations. I'm on the board of the Washington State Medical Association. And the Medical Association has taken some strong uh, uh, stances on two issues that affect climate, uh, that affect health, but don't get direct attention, certainly at a meeting like this, focused largely on the healthcare delivery system. Those are climate change and firearms. And I'm just wondering if you see that there is going to be any attention in the next legislative session on how we can improve health through attention to those two issues. So it's interesting. You, so the climate change issue is really fascinating. Um, I just talked, my brother's a doctor. Uh, both my brothers are doctors. And my brother called me. I was chatting with my brother when I was driving up here. And he, he and his wife moved from Salt Lake City because his, my brother's wife is highly asthmatic. And in Salt Lake City, they have air inversions. And so he moved. He has another place in St. George. And they go to St. George because the air quality is better. So long story short, will we have something to deal with climate change this session? Absolutely. If we're going to do something with climate change in the state of Washington, I want it actually to be related to the climate. If you're going to cost me to pay more on something, then I want that money to go to cleaning up the, 
the climate or I want a, a direct correlation between what I'm, what I'm doing and will affect the climate. And I'd be okay with that. So you'll look at Representative Harris, and if you're going to do something, do something maybe at the tailpipe of that car that you're driving, nasty car that you're driving or whatever. But um, I want a direct correlation. I want to make sure that if we're going to, if we're going to do something, if we're going to pay something, that it actually offsets and actually does something to clean the environment. On your second issue, firearms, I'm not, I, I haven't heard a lot of chatter on, on firearms yet, but that's just me. Maybe I haven't heard it. So. so just real quickly, I agree totally with Representative Harris. There has to be a correlation. Um, I look at the recent Seattle Times article on the fish in the sound that are uh, have opioids and prescription drugs in their systems. And so, uh, you know, I'm actually writing a bill to address some of that issue because we as humans are, pub are, are polluting our sound. Um, we are polluting areas and we need to address that in a way that actually has an outcome just like we do in healthcare. I think. We've run out of time. We have. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks very much for listening to this podcast and for supporting us at the Washington State Wire. Emily Berger produced this podcast. We had support from folks like Sarah Gensler, Brandon Johnson, Aaron Horton, Karyana Wilson, Rita Waldrop, Margie High, and Laura Lumberg on our team. Again, my name is DJ Wilson. We'd love to have you read our stuff at The Wire. Sign up for our weekly Morning Wire email or our Daily Wire email for the best news and information out of Olympia during the legislative session. Thanks again.